Right? Yeah. And it's all so everybody's pride was hurt except for the winner. Because it really could have been anybody's match. But thank you for taking the the trying to do that. They wanted the champion to face me, but I've had three shoulder surgeries and pretty sure my shoulder would pop out instantaneously, alright? But this morning we're gonna be talking about God's higher calling for us as men. The Bible is filled with higher callings for men. From Genesis to the book of Acts, from Abraham to Paul in the New Testament. God has literally been reaching down from heaven and calling men for his divine purpose. Think about such men. Abraham was called to leave his people, his country, to go to an unknown foreign land. Moses was called to confront the ruler of the nation and to lead God's people into the promised land. Gideon was called in spite of his weakness to raise up an army to fight the Philistines. David was called just a young, flute-playing, cheese boy, pizza boy delivery to, to slay a giant and to become the king of a nation. Isaiah was called to preach God's words of wrath to God's wondering people. Jeremiah was called just a boy, just a kingdom kid. To preach God's word on the eve of exile. Ezekiel was called to be a watchman to the people. Peter was called to leave his nets behind to follow Jesus and to usher in the kingdom of God. Paul was called on the road to Damascus in Acts chapter 9 to suffer for Jesus and to be a light to the Gentiles. We truly have a higher calling. And God's eyes range the earth. Searching. Looking for men like you, whose hearts are fully committed. Men that he can change and transform, that he can call, that they'll listen to, that they'll respond with faith and hope and obedience and conviction. And he screams to each and every one of us, who shall I send? Who will go on behalf of me to be a light in this world? God's calling did not end with the book of Revelation. It echoes on today in the 21st century and it is real for us as college men. And God is calling you today. It's far beyond just your initial conversion to repent and make Jesus Lord and get baptized. That's just the beginning of this wild adventure of God calling you to become who you're not. Discipleship is the beginning. It's this invitation to the wildest adventure of your life if you're willing to heed the call. It's spiritual. It's individual, and it's eternal, God's calling. And it's far beyond any individual's means and beyond your wildest dreams. God's calling are unique and eternal. And this morning, I want to look at three different callings that we receive as men. That if we can answer them, if we can heed the calling, it will change and transform you, your ministry, and your churches. The first call is this, the call to follow. Every calling in the Bible begins and ends with the call to follow. It would be a cool thing just to spend the whole morning setting out the call to follow, but we're just going to look at Jesus and how he called us to follow. You know what in the Gospels he calls people to follow over 20 different times it's recorded? In each one there's a demand and expectation. Let's look at a few today. Mark chapter 4, Matthew chapter 4 verse 19. Come follow me. And I will make you fishers of men. Matthew 8, verse 22. 
man, this thing really hates me up here. Here we go. Follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. Matthew 9, verse 9. And Jesus went on from there. He saw a man named Matthew sitting at a tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. Matthew chapter 10, verse 38. Whoever does not take up the cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Mark chapter 10, verse 21. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack. Go sell everything you have and give it to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then, come follow me. Luke chapter 9, verse 23, he said to them all, If anybody would come after me, he must deny himself. Take up his cross daily and follow me. John chapter 8, verse 12, when Jesus spoke against the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness but have the light of life. John 10, verse 27, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. John 21, verse 22, If I want them to remain alive until I return, what is it to you? You must follow me. John chapter 12, verse 26, probably the most challenging, I think, of Jesus' following commands. If if this connection shall work. Let's see. Oh man, there's no hope. All right, I need Graham. He's going to come up and click. But I'll read it for you. John chapter 12, verse 26 says, Whoever serves me must follow me. And where I am, my servant must also be. My father will honor the one who serves me. As you can tell from this passage, Jesus calls us to follow him as men. He doesn't just call us, he demands us to follow him. He wants us to follow him closely, wholeheartedly, consistently, passionately, faithfully, and eternally. This is the call that each and every single one of us have received from Jesus himself. He demands that we deny ourselves, that we drop everything we're doing, that we follow him, that we obey him, imitate him. There is nothing on earth that should get in the way of you or me following Jesus. Our greatest need as men is not to grow in what the world says manhood is, but to deepen our followership of Jesus. If you can simply follow Jesus more wholeheartedly and closely, you will be a man to be reckoned with. A fierce man, a powerful man, because you have one far powerful than you working through you as you follow him. This is an invitation to discipleship and an invitation to your wildest adventure of your life. It all begins and ends with this call to follow Jesus. No matter what it costs you and no matter how much it hurts. What does following Jesus look like? You ever thought about that? What does following Jesus look like? It's imitating him in every single possible way. It's reading his words and putting it into practice. It's concerning yourself with the things that concern Jesus. Be willing to serve the unserveable. Share your faith. Love the lost. Serve the poor. Encourage one another. It's, it's concerning yourself of what broke his heart and what motivated him. And it's standing up for what's right. For me to follow Jesus, i got to think through how I'm going to do this every single day. I can't just go through the motions of the day and actually follow Jesus. I've got to wake up and think, all right, with my school schedule today, with my work schedule today, what I have to get done, how am I going to be a disciple 
on my way to school today? How am I be a disciple in my classroom? How am I going to follow Jesus when nobody is around me today? When I go to the gym, when I talk to the sisters on campus, when I'm all alone at work, how am I going to follow Jesus and really, really be his disciple? You know, a slogan that helps me a lot is what would Jesus do? It's a little corny, and I know in the South they use it a lot. What would Jesus do? I think as men, we've got to pair this up. Graham's going to hit the next slide here. But what would Jesus do? And I like to pair it with the Nike slogan. One more slide forward. What's the Nike slogan stand for? Just do it. What would Jesus do? And just do it. Seriously. We're way too soft as men. We think we know what Jesus does, but then we, we let ourselves overcome our obedience to just do it. How would you be different? At the forefront of your mind was what would Jesus do and you actually did it. Every day of your life, I know what Jesus would do and I'm doing it with all my heart. How would this change you? How would this change your campus ministry? How would this change the rest of your life? That we can be men who obeyed and followed Jesus. That's what makes a real man. You know, Paul says in 1 Corinthians... Chapter 11, verse 1. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Paul called the church in Corinth to imitate his Christ-likeness. That they would all pull out and bring out the best of Jesus in one another. I've learned just as much about following Jesus from reading the Bible and the scriptures as I have from imitating and letting men in my life push me to be more like Jesus. You want to grow and be more like this, you've got to have men in your life who you can imitate and who will push you out of your comfort zone to deny yourself and become more like the one who calls you. I committed to this as a young Christian, and I still do to this day because I know in and of myself I am inadequate. I am incomplete. I lack. I fall short of being like this. I need men in my life to push me. To help me to imitate Christ more deeply and sincerely in my heart. I need coaching. I need mentoring. I need discipling. Sometimes I need confrontation in my face. So I can follow Jesus more closely. Here I am an evangelist. But whenever I sit in a Bible study with someone else leading it. Or a Bible talk someone else is leading. Or a D time someone else is leading. I'm, I just love to take notes. I want to learn how somebody else leads. I'm here this weekend to serve, but I'm here this weekend to learn from the campus ministers in the Southeast. I want to learn. I am not complete in and of myself. I need ongoing training in my life. I love to observe it. I, I love to go pray with other people and just listen to them pray and pour out their hearts for God so I can better pour out my heart for God. I love going out and sharing my faith with other people, seeing their courage and their strength to take a stand. That inspires me and fires me up. I love going on double dates. And seeing other men encourage women and help me to be a better encourager in my life. I'm not the most encouraging person. I've got to grow this. I love to be around people who are more encouraging than me so I can learn and be pushed to be more like them. I like to ask for advice. How can I grow? What do you see in my life? What do you see in my marriage, my ministry? Because I know if I don't ask, I'm not going to be the best follower of Jesus I can be. It's my fear that maybe some of us in this room are out of shape and out of practice. Of letting other men push you, disciple you, and inviting it into your life and being this to other men. 
There's no way we can follow this the way he commands us to. Well, us together as men pushing each other to be our very best for Christ. When we talk about this call to follow Jesus, there's one verse in the Bible that really scares me. This video on the next screen just kind of shows it. It's regarding Peter and how he followed Jesus. You know, Jesus, Peter followed Jesus so closely all the way up to the very end. And the writer of Luke, Luke writes that towards the end, Peter followed Jesus, what? At a distance. He still wanted to follow Jesus, but just not as closely and passionately as he did at first. He slowly began to distance and drift from the one that he loved and the one he vowed his life to. And this distance led to his denial of Jesus. That scares me. If Peter could fall in this way, who are we to think that we couldn't fall as well? But what about you? How closely are you following Jesus right now? Are you so close that you're bumping into his back? Are you following him at a distance? It's so easy to let a distance or a gap occur in our followership of Jesus. It just starts simply with a really busy week where you didn't have time to have your quiet time that morning. And then it led to, oh man, I got to do more homework because I was, I was lazy, so I got to miss midweek tonight to do this homework. And you get, get disconnected from the body. Then oddly enough, old sin in your sinful nature starts coming back and you start dabbling into some old sin. And once you get back in old sin, you're like, there's no way I can be open now. I'm just going to conceal this and keep this to myself. Then all of a sudden you start becoming defensive and distant to the brothers. Yeah. And then before you knew it, you're, you're barely hanging on. You're going through the motions if you go to any event. Your heart is guarded. You start hanging out with non-Christian friends who are negatively influencing you. And someone who loves you, tries to speak the truth and love to you, you just shut them down. And before you even realize it, you've drifted. And a distance and a gap has occurred from you following Jesus. This can happen so easily, which is why as men, we must wholeheartedly pursue him and help each other to pursue him. My last semester of college, I followed Jesus at a distance. It was by far the hardest chapter of my singlehood life. And I say singlehood because I want to relate to you guys as campus students here. Man, I was completing my student teaching and my undergrads in special education. My student teaching was Working with kids who should be in jail because they have emotional behavioral disorders. They're in this special school where they were kind of locked up like they were in prison, but they were able to go to school. And I was their teacher. It was crazy. And I was leading my campus ministry at the same time. I'd get up at 5.30 in the morning. I'd wake up, have time with God, drive through Denver traffic, which is a lot like Atlanta's traffic. Get there at 6.45, teach to 4 o'clock in the afternoon. As soon as I got done teaching, I was jumping in D times, Bible studies. Bible talks into the late hours of the night. I'd pass out in bed, roll over the next morning, wake up at 5.45, and go through it all again. I was worn out. I was frustrated. I was unmotivated. My heart was weighed down. I was relying on my physical strength instead of following Jesus. And I was more concerned with what I could get done versus what God could do through me. I followed Jesus into the easier bounds, but those hard talks and those hard conversations I wasn't willing to go through. The things that exposed my heart challenged me most, I ran from. 
I went to every ministry event because I was in charge. I was the campus minister. I couldn't avoid it. But going through the motions poisoned my heart and it became hard. Before I realized it, I felt like I was following a ghost. Because every time I thought I was following Jesus, I'd just look up and he'd be so far ahead of me from where I was. And I hated where I'd gotten. I let the busyness of life distract me. I let my own abilities fool me. And I made following Jesus about do's and don'ts instead of a wholehearted pursuit. I became frustrated, uninspiring, and heavy. I'm so grateful I had men in my life to have very hard confrontational talks with me. To jolt my heart back to where it needed to be. To call me back to following Jesus and the joy of my salvation. Amen. I realized I was following Jesus, not following Jesus, but all the duties and responsibilities that came with being a Christian. Instead of just following the one that I love. Yeah. I wouldn't be the man I am today without having these brothers in my life who pushed me. And helped me to see how far I drifted. Can't you feel this way at times yeah. about following Jesus? Am I alone in what I'm describing? No. The real question is, how do you deal with these things when you realize a distance or a gap has occurred in following Jesus? Do you have people in your life that are helping you to follow Jesus ever so closely, <laughs> even when you wander or drift? So many times we associate being a good Christian by just going to campus ministry and reading my Bible every day. Being open where I need to be. Going through the checklist. Did I go on a date? Did I encourage this person? Did I do this or that? But tell you what. Taking Christianity as a checklist is not Christianity. Those are things we do because we wholeheartedly love Jesus. And the moment we associate following Jesus to this whole list of things to do versus doing it out of my overflow love for God, we quit following the one that we love. Where's life to the full that Jesus promised by just going through the motions of a checklist? A lot of us need to put our pride on the shelf, brothers. We need to say, I am nothing. I have nothing. I won't be anything in life if I'm not following Jesus. Sincerely and wholeheartedly. You can't find your worth in school. You can't find your worth in success. You can't find your, your worth by the world's standards. It's got to be by following Jesus that we find who we truly are. Brothers, we're just scratching the surface of discipleship on our campuses. Until people scream on your campus, I want them silenced. I want these brothers kicked off this school. They're raising, raising chaos on this campus. We must get rid of this ministry until your schools are pleading for you off their campus. You have not followed Jesus closely enough. When you follow Jesus, the world changes. When you follow Jesus, chaos ensues. Read the book of Acts if you think I'm crazy. We are too soft, quiet, blending in. We've got to stand out and stand up for Jesus. Jesus said, where my servant is, he will find me. Where I am, my servant will also be. We've got to be the type of men that follow or where Jesus would be on our campuses. Amen to that? The second calling is this call to lead. The call to lead. Jeremiah chapter 1, we'll pick up here in verse 4. Right. 
The word of the Lord appeared to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Ah, sovereign Lord! I don't even know how to speak. I'm only a child. But the Lord said to me, Do not say I'm only a child. You must go to everyone I send you and say whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord reached out his hand and touched my mouth and said to me, I have put my words in your mouth. See, today I appoint you over the nations and kingdoms to uproot and to tear down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. Before Jerry was even born, God formed him in his womb and had in mind his calling. The Hebrew word for this is yada. The next slide shows us yada is this intimate Hebrew word. It means to know. God knew intimately Jeremiah's calling. He knew Jerry's calling like a husband knows his wife. It was intimate. It was close. It was personal. God had singled Jerry out to be the spokesman for Israel. He was set apart. The next slide shows us he was set apart from birth. God had set him apart for a special purpose from the moment he was born. He was like Harry Potter. From birth, he was unique and special and set apart for a special calling. To be a prophet to the nations. You know, Jerry was a kingdom kid through and through. He was born into a nation that was, that was supposed to be living for God, but was living in a fallen state. And he was called to be a prophet to them on the eve of exile. In verse 6, Jerry responds how some of you guys do when you're asked to do something in front of the church or lead a Bible talk or serve. You're like, surely not I. I don't even know how to speak English. I, I'm just a boy. How could I possibly lead or share my testimony or, or lead a Bible discussion or lead a Bible study? I don't even know how to thumb through my Bible. I, and Jerry is just being dramatic, as some of us are. The truth is, he knew how to speak. He just saw all the ways he was inadequate for the calling and got freaked out and felt scared. He wasn't a child. He was your age. He was in his late teens, early 20s. He wasn't a child. He was our age. He was called. But he felt so ill-prepared to answer God's calling that he just threw out any excuse he could think of. Can you relate to that? When you're called beyond your comfort zone? When excuses come out of your mouth? When you're called to lead as men? Verses 7 through 10, God answers Jerry's objections to his callings. He says, don't say I'm only a child. I'm making you a man. I'm making you brave. I'm making you courageous. If you'd be only willing to go, I give you the source of your message. I give you the courage that you would need, and I would protect you. He didn't need to worry about his safety or his message. He said, if you're willing to go faithfully, I'll provide every single thing you lack, Jeremiah. But the question is, are you willing to go? Like Jeremiah, we've been called to lead. God has set each and every one of us apart in this room to lead. 
That's what men do. That's what godly men do. They leave. He's handpicked you out of the thousands on your campus. He's set you apart for a special purpose that only you can do. This next slide in, in, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 says this, that we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, for which God has prepared in advance for us to do. God has good works that he's prepared since the dawn of time just for you to do in 2019 on your campus that nobody else can do. You can't look around for someone else to do because he set you aside, set you apart to do it. He knows your weaknesses. God knows them full well. He knows your imperfections. And he says, I do not care. He screams, I am bigger than your insecurities and your shortcomings. All he wants to know is, will you answer the call to leave? God promises he'll do the rest. He'll provide all that you lack. He asks if you will faithfully go and leave. Our callings to lead are all different. Some are called to lead Bible groups, Bible talks. Some of us are called to go into the ministry. Some of us are called the way to lead the service of the poor in the church. Some of us are called to lead the way of encouragement. Some of us are just called to serve in whatever area the church needs, whether it's ushering, organization, setting up, tearing down. Some of us are called to lead the way in administration. Some of us are called to get very high-paying jobs and give sacrificially to the church. There's so many ways you can serve and lead. The question is, will you? Will you heed the call that God has placed on your heart? You know, Jeremiah's calling was, was a pretty horrible one. He was called to go and preach, and nobody would ever repent and follow. That was his calling. I'm going to call you to go make things worse, and no one's going to follow you or God. Did you read through those chapters? His calling was very dark. All of our calls are different. But needed. It's not about the glory. It's not about the accolades. It's not about praise. It's about using your gifts and talents for God. And when you do that, you are truly fulfilled. It's not about the fruit that comes. It's about the faith you go in. That's what God cares about and values. Will you answer the call to lead? What is God calling you to lead? And your ministry back home. What needs are there that are going unmet because you refuse to meet them? What things are lingering in your church that you can meet? What is happening that you can gather men and, and get together and make a difference? What's your kingdom dream? What do you want to do with your life moving forward? How do you want to glorify God with these years he's going to give you in the future? If you don't start now, you'll never become the man you want to be. The character and decisions you make now echo on the rest of your life. It is so important that we answer this now. I want to let you guys know your dreams can come true. You have permission from God, from all your kingdoms, your church leaders, to dream big for God. And that God can use you to make these dreams come true. You've got to ask yourself, who says your dreams can't come true? The one who speaks lies. 
Satan, the father of lies. He loves to beat the dreams out of you and I. To say we're not good enough. There's nothing special about you. There's nothing unique about you. You're too shy. You're too tall. You're too fat. You're not smart enough. You're not disciplined enough. You're not rich enough. You don't have the education. He loves to beat the dreams out of God's sons. And believe that we're losers. You know, the one who shuts the mouth of Satan is the one who says, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. It's not about you. Do you get that yet? This isn't about you. This is about the great God that we serve. Who can make you into a powerful, courageous, strong, faithful man. That's who it's about. And when you don't follow the call to lead, you're not shutting down just you. You're shutting down the God who wants to work through you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's right. Don't you dare settle to be a mediocre disciple. Yeah. Don't you dare settle for dreamless lives. You were called for something that's far greater than this. If you feel like you can't do it or that you're afraid, that's okay. Did you know that every man I brought up in the beginning that were called by God was scared out of their minds? Moses ran. Gideon shaked in fear. Jerry gave all these objections. There's men more spiritual than you that have been more afraid than you are right now. Who put their fear aside and trusted that God was calling them to something greater than themselves. we got to have the humility that God can use you. And that he will supply what you lack. I'm scared. You think it's easy to come halfway across the country and come and preach to people you've never met that you don't have a connection with? I'm afraid to be here. But I also know, man, i got a message. <clears throat> and I think God's going to use me in spite of how I feel physically, the fact that I'm allergic to every single thing in Tennessee, <laughs> the fact that my family's mourning, my brother's wife just died and left behind three kids. I just got out of a funeral in the last week or two. It's just like... My heart has been breaking. I feel weak and I feel inadequate. But yet I know God can use me in spite of all these things. You know how I ended up in leadership? It wasn't glorious at all. After my first ICMC in 2006, I was four months old as a Christian. I was so inspired to see a ministry bigger than nine students. That's what mine was. And I got inspired, and I thought, man, God can really use us to change our campus. And I got back, I pulled the four brothers aside that were in the campus ministry, and I said, guys, we got to fast, we got to pray, we got to become these men who God has called us to be. And we went out, we shared our faith like madmen on campus. We caused some chaos. We studied with so many guys, and people were becoming Christians. And this is four people, we didn't even really have a full-time campus minister. And so the evangelist that's leading our church was coming down on campus, I just set up all these studies back to back and he'd just come down and lead them. I'd be there just taking notes. He taught us how to lead Bible talks. I'd be there leading Bible talks as a six-month-old Christian, not knowing what I'm doing, just leading studies, not even knowing what I'm doing, but I didn't care. I just wanted to help out. I just wanted to serve. And I 
remember like the back of my hand, it was February 2007, I convinced Chris Reed, the evangelist, to come down on campus. I told him I had a Bible study starting at 11, but it really didn't start till noon. And we get down there, we're down the food court in our student union, and we're sitting there, and I'm kind of nervous, I'm a little sweaty. He's like, Brian, where's the guy? Where's the guy that we're sitting with? When's he coming? I'm like, Chris, I tricked you. It's not till noon. He's like, so why'd you have me drive 40 minutes down here? You know, there's other things I could have done with this time. I'm like, I know, but I want to ask you something. And it's been on my heart for several weeks right now, and I'm nervous. He's like, what is it, Brian? I'm like, is there any way I can do what you do and not have to work a summer job? He's like, you mean like do the ministry? I'm like, if that's what it's called, then yes. (laughs) He's like, are you serious? This is what you brought me down here for? I'm like, yes, I'm dead serious. He's like... You won't believe it, Brian. I was on the phone with the guy who's going to be leading the church planning in Bergen, Norway. And he's delayed three months getting there. We have a group of 14 disciples ready to start a church, but we have no leader. You want to go to Norway and plant a church? What? And I'm like, I don't know where Norway is, but I'll go. I used to be somewhere in Northern Europe, Vikings. I'll go. As you can imagine, there's a lot of people that need some convincing for us first. I was 19 years old. Just finishing my sophomore year of high school or of college there, and I was just like, who's gonna convince this guy? Who wants a young Christian, not even a year old, to go lead a church plan? It took some persuasion. I got the call on my first spiritual birthday. I was going to Norway. I got trained in apologetics. He, he tried to help me learn how to preach. Tried to help me to learn how to, how to not get myself hurt royally in Norway. And I found myself on May 15, 2007, boarded a plane for Norway. Mission team of 14. The next youngest person on that mission team was 32. I was 19. The only two college students going weren't there that summer. I would share my faith by myself for 40 hours a week. Because everybody else had full-time jobs. I got cussed at, spit at, laughed at, and people who wanted to fight me for sharing about Jesus. They hate Americans, and they hate religious people. In their eyes, I'm not even white. I stuck out like a sore thumb. And I endured so much persecution that summer. I preached on most Sundays in midweek, and they were horrible. My first Sunday sermon was 90 minutes long and some woman fell asleep snoring. (laughs) I felt like a loser. I felt inadequate. But I kept sharing my faith. And one guy became a Christian that summer. And I came back to Denver. And when I got back, uh, Matt Otwell, which is in Atlanta, he was leaving the campus and he was stepping down from leaving the campus and going into another field. They said, Brian, we got no one else to lead. You want to leave the campus ministry? I'm like, why not? I was a full-time student. I led my campus ministry my junior and senior year of college. I graduated in 2009, went to the full-time ministry. It has been a wild adventure. I've been all over the world, preaching all over the country. It's incredible to think that God has used my life. I'm only 31, and I just thought who I was when I heard the calling. And all the inadequacies that still remain in me. That God could possibly use someone like me. To do something far greater than I could ever imagine for myself. This isn't just my story. God has a story for you. It may not be the ministry. It may not be 
this way, it's to lead. I promise you that it's to lead in some way, shape, or form. Why did I ever say yes to Norway? Why did I say yes to the ministry at age 20? Because there was a need. And God thought I could meet it. I was scared out of my mind, and I'm scared now, but how could I turn down a calling from God? Whatever form of leadership God's calling you to, you've got to answer it. It'd be the most fulfilling, adventurous, and purposeful adventure of your life. It doesn't matter how old you are physically or spiritually. God can and will use you if you let him. You know, my wife, I'll show a picture of my wife. You guys are going to get to see her more over this weekend. But she's incredible. You know, she had just finished her, that's my wife. She had just finished and graduated from Clemson University. She went on the mission team there. And she was working with a Nobel laureate in chemistry at CU Boulder on cutting edge cancer research. She was getting published, which is a huge deal in the science world. And she was given a full-ride scholarship plus a $35,000 stipend to get her PhD at any university in America. She was given that award the same week she was offered to go into the full-time ministry with me. We weren't even dating yet. We were in the liking stage. <laughs> we John Hopkins, Yale, full-rides. She turned that all down because she felt called. Gave up a very prestigious PhD to serve seven women in the ministry and to see what God would do. And here we are years later, over hundreds of students in our ministry <coughs> sent out ministers all over. Like, I think of what has come. She had $100,000 in student loans from Clemson, by the way. We had to pay that off with a minister's salary. We did that in seven years. You can't set limits on what God can and can't do. Like, God can do anything if you're willing. If you're willing to let Him use you. There's no excuse valid, and there's no reason why you cannot. If you're willing to be humble and let God use you. We've been called to change the world, men. And this world desperately needs men who will lead. People who will take a stand for what's right. Men who will change the world. Men who will be a light in this dark, dark, fallen world. There's nothing that should stand in the way of you answering and heeding the call to lead. To be willing to go anywhere. To do anything. To use your talents for God and His kingdom. Amen to that? Amen. I got one more calling. You ready for that? Yes, the third calling is this. The call... To stand. To call to stand. Ezekiel 22 verse 30 says this. I looked for a man among them. Who would build up the wall. And stand before me in the gap on behalf of the land. So I would not have to destroy it. But I found none. Let this not be said about your campus. Let this not be said about your church. God looks for men, men like you, to stand in the gap in the wall on behalf of his people. 
who will take a stand, who will take a stand for God and what is right, and will not back down, shut up, slip out, but will stand. God's not looking for people who, when the going gets tough, will step aside, slow down, or back out. He wants men who will stand and stand firmly and to stand courageously and to stand wholeheartedly for Him. I'm so proud of different men I've gotten to see in our campus ministry take stands in different ways. This next picture of Sinistian. Sinistian just got married a couple months ago, but when he was in the campus ministry, he had some very difficult cards dealt with him. He started off campus uh, going to college while taking care of his dying mom. Working two jobs to pay the bills and trying to go to school part-time. After his mom got so sick and, and passed, he, he went to school full-time, moved to Denver, and was met and reached out and became a Christian. And while he's out there, he was very poor. He had, he had nobody to take care of him and look out for him. He wore the same pair of shoes for three years in a row. And he would play worship. The only most valuable piece that he owned was his guitar. He would play worship for us every Tuesday night. He was the most encouraging brother in my campus ministry. He never had a reason not to take his sister out on encouragement dates. He never had a reason not to write a card or say a little thank you to someone or buy someone a little token. Even that meant that he couldn't have anything special that week for himself. Sin led this way. That's his nickname, Sinistian Sin, for years in our campus ministry. God blessed it. God blessed him with an incredible wife. This man, I, I respect him so much because no matter what the life would throw at him, he would still stand. Amen. Now him and his wife are working in the teens and creating this culture in our teen ministry to take a stand like he did. The next picture here. It's a question mark, because I don't want to reveal who it is. There's a brother of my ministry who's same-sex attracted, been a disciple for three years, who denies and fights his desires, knowing that, man, there's parts of me that may never be fulfilled if I really, really live like a true Christian. He lives with his parents and helps pay their rent and takes care of his two siblings in high school. He works two jobs and goes to school full-time. He's in Bible studies. He serves. He comes to every ministry event. He's one of the first one there, one of the last one to leave. He doesn't let lack of sleep, lack of money, lack of issues get in the way of him taking a stand for what's right. He calls out brothers. He challenges brothers. You want to talk about some of his deep convictions about purity? It's this brother. He takes a stand when everything around him is crumbling. I want to show you Turner. Turner's in his last semester of college right now. And he's, he's, he's a campus intern, and when he graduates in May, he's going to go full-time. This has not been an easy road. His character has been refined so much in the last year and a half of choosing to step up and lead. His character of laziness, undisciplined, his fears, his insecurities. And he has been disciple. I think, maybe harder than anybody else I've discipled in recent times. And he just wants more. He says, Brian, help me become the man that can stand and not run like I've always <laughs> run in my life. Help me become the man who, when the going gets tough, I don't flee like I've always fleed. Like, help me to learn how to stand. I believe Turner's going to do some incredible things after he graduates. We go to the next slide, and I think it's blank. But our campus ministry's got to be filled with men that are willing to take a stand. Let's be real for a minute. 
We all know people who were here last retreat, last spring, that were all fired up, that seemed all spiritual, that are no longer standing faithfully. It's not about talk, it's not about how you look, it's a matter of your integrity and where you stand. Will you stand when your friends and family don't understand your decision to be a disciple and your level of sacrifice? And when you start getting persecuted by the very people who know you the best? Will you stand strong when you're facing the temptations day in and day out and not cave? Will you stand tall and not shrink back when you're getting persecuted on campus by your professors and your future employers? Will you stand faithful when others are walking away from the Lord around you? Will you be standing next year at the spring retreat after a whole year of Satan throwing mess at your way? Will you still be standing at the 2020 conference in Orlando? Will you still be standing 10 years from now as a disciple, whether you're single or married? Will you still be standing? The most important question, will you still be standing on your last day when you die and meet Jesus face to face? Brothers, hear and feel deeply the call to stand. Don't back up. Don't back up. Don't back down. But take your stand for God. Most people stop standing for God because they stop following Jesus. Taking a stand is not about how it feels. It's about answering the call and holding up the blood-stained banner of the gospel and planting the cross so deep in your heart that nothing can remove it. Jesus took a stand for us on the hill of Calvary and paid a price that we could never pay to purchase us back from the darkness, to redeem our lives, to give us a calling that's far greater than we could ever imagine for ourselves. And he's wanting to know, will you stand? If you'll follow him, if you'll stand on the gap on behalf of his people. Brothers, make no mistake, God is calling you to stand. And if you're fully committed this morning to taking a stand for him, not just today, but all the days of your life, I want you to stand right now. Physically and symbolically. And look at each other. Because a day is going to come in the near future where one of you, to your right or to your left, is going to want to shrink back and shut up from standing. If there's someone around you that you have slightest relationship with, you are committing yourself right now by standing to help them to fight to stand as well. Make no mistake, God has called us as men to follow Jesus, to lead, and to take a stand. And let us do that whole Hardly. Can I get a, a hearty amen? Yeah. Take a seat. We're done. Yeah.